Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and sponsored by Amazon Prime Video, the home of the US Open in the UK. My name is David Law. I'm standing on the broadcast roof of Wimbledon right now, looking over at the new court one roof that is just developing. It's not in operation yet, just one year to go. And also Centre Court, of course, which does have its roof on and I don't think is going to be needed at all because it is absolutely glorious sunshine out here at the moment. Blue sky, wispy white clouds. Simon Briggs of The Telegraph is here with me and he's just about to tell me uh, the weather forecast will prove me wrong probably, Simon. No, it's the other way around. Could they close the roof for, for heat? Well, that's an interesting one because, I mean, it is properly hot isn't it i mean we're standing here mid-afternoon on sunday the day before the championships begin it is what 28 degrees something like that at the moment i mean it is hot it has been for a while we're looking at the grass here they've managed to get this green imagine how much water has had to go on this grass that we're standing on on the broadcaster of where we're just lined with tv cameras it's going to be going out all over the world this tournament but simon i mean you have had a a busy few days When, when i just came to you just now and asked you to come on the tennis podcast you you were juggling two pieces you were basically writing into two laptops at the same time and you've still got roger Federer coming into the press conference soon that's the rick wakeman look i do have multiple keyboards uh it's gonna be prog rock and the telegraph tomorrow um yeah roger's coming in at 3 30 uh i'm sort of hoping he won't say anything too dramatic because i reckon i'm gonna have my pieces mostly out of the way by then yeah, and if he does, I'm coming back on at the Tennis Podcast to tell you exactly what he said. But here we are standing. I, I mean, it is extraordinary to think 10 years on from the Nadal Federer final. The one that everybody remembers, the one that a documentary Strokes of Genius has been made about. You'll be able to see that on BBC Two on Middle Sunday, 6.20 on BBC Two. Uh, it's on Tennis Channel in the US if you if you in the US uh, that's uh, tonight actually I think uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time so there's loads of talk about that there's loads of talk about Serena Williams at the moment obviously returning I mean it, it's, it's like time just hasn't happened over the last 10 years that these these great players are still expected to go all the way I mean do, is that how you feel is that how the paper is billing it does it I mean can you can you see Nadal Federer and maybe even Serena Venus on the final weekends 
Well, Nadal is, is going to have to prove that this year is a very different story to the last decade almost. I mean, not quite a decade, all right, but he hasn't been to the quarterfinals since 2011. So he'd be the biggest question mark out of that group for me. But I, I do wonder, I mean, what was it about that little period in the, uh, when were they all born? Was it the, uh, the, the, the early 80s? Um, something about that period. Were they just in the sweet spot where they were picking up the the early graphite rackets, learning to hit topspin from the beginning, but they also didn't have quite the overpowering strings that we have today. So they had to learn old school technique. They had to they had to develop so many different facets to their game. I just wonder. I've got this theory that it's something about being born in that period and you know Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic they were almost the same what's six years later or so um it was something to do with that period of being a perfect ed- education now you from the beginning from the moment you arrive on the tour you can drive these kind of w- wicked topspin dipping balls and you don't, don't really venture to the net much whereas in those days they really got the full tennis education mm, yeah I, li- I like that I I, I do feel there's there's something in that and and it's also it also feels like a reaction to the serve and volley era because that that happened and then Leighton Hewitt et al blunted that with the returning and so forth and then these guys who could hit from the baseline and do a bit of everything came along and just I was talking on Five Live a little earlier charting this generation of players the fact that we've got so many of the greatest players of all time playing at the same time and well into the 30s I mean it it is mind-boggling I mean in 10 years time I wonder how we'll be looking back on all this it could be a golden era I mean uh, we do also have a very exciting batch of youngsters I mean uh, I'm going to do some selling here. The, the, the Telegraph uh, pullout tomorrow will include some uh, interviews with some of the rising stars, including Stefanos Tsitsipas, who I found to be very charismatic, interesting man, and Taylor Fritz, also a really interesting talker. He says he wants to be the first uh, professional athlete to be simultaneously a professional esports player. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Meanwhile, uh, on the to return to the rackets issue, uh, I tried out Roger Federer's racket um, in the racket room at Australia's National Tennis Centre. So I've written a piece about what it was like to play with the RF ninety seven. And how was it? I mean, uh, you and I have played with the Laura Robson racket of uh, when was that? Twenty thirteen. You and I were given one of those to try out. Uh, we didn't quite get the sort of Laura Robson effect when we hit the ball towards. Uh, did you get the Roger Federer effect? Did it rub off? Oh, it was a horrific uh, experience in terms of I was out there being measured by this wired-up court that that could record my spin speed. So my uh, I think my ground stroke speed was something like 40 miles an hour slower than the average tall pro on both sides. Uh, <laughs> so basically I was a milk float. Um, and, uh, and also because it turns out that the interesting thing about Roger's racket is that it, the weight is in the handle, which differentiates him from all the other professional rackets I tried. They, were, they had a whole selection of them. So I played with Rafa and Nadal's, which when you touch the ball just disappears into orbit, I can tell you. Um, I played with Venus Williams's, which was the easiest one for a for a clubby like me um, but Roger above all of them has the weight in the handle so this means that the head is very light so he can sort of swish it around and it's very manoeuvrable um, and it's actually very difficult for a club player because the weight in the handle means there's a lot of inertia in it so if you've got a crabby swing like mine you don't get through the ball and it doesn't really go anywhere whereas he's got a, that amazing loose whip of an arm 
very straight arm by comparison with most players coming from the shoulder liquid whip that was what David Foster Wallace called it wasn't it? a great liquid whip the uh, Federer forehand so that shot he accelerates his arm so much that the inertia doesn't matter so it's a trade-off for him in terms of having the maneuverability and the speed at the same time but for a club player just you know, don't even bother <laughs> okay I won't I'm not even a club player uh, so Roger Federer he comes in as the bookies' favourite. I mean, he's been given a pretty good draw again, hasn't he? I mean, he's in the top half of the draw. He, so he avoids Nadal, who's obviously in the bottom half of the draw. In the bottom half of the draw is also Djokovic um, and Del Potro. So, you know, it's it's not bad, is it? I mean, I asked, I asked the question on social media at Tennis Podcast. R- complete the sentence. Roger Federer will not win this tournament because... Because, I mean, you know... I'm not saying that he's the foregone conclusion that Rafael Nadal felt uh, during Roland Garros, but when you go through, it's kind of hard to find out who's going to stop him. Marin Cilic may be in the semis. Yeah, that, that's what I've said, actually. Uh, I did chat about this with Russell Fuller on the BBC, and I'm backing Cilic to win the title because when I watched him at Queen's, it was the backhand up the line that struck me. You know, that's not necessarily a shot he's associated with, so he's already got the... Uh, the kind of the killer serve, the, the the forehand which was measured in Australia, I think, as the number two fastest behind Songa. Suddenly, it was either the second or third team was in the top three. Those, those were the top three. Uh, the backhand you don't particularly necessarily think of as being a strength, but it is incredibly good. Uh, when he won the US Open, he was obviously just hitting lights out on both wings. And when I watched him, the way that he was he was lining it up the line in, at Queens, it was almost Djokovic or Murray esque that that stroke and he thought if he's doing doing that on top of everything else I just feel like he's probably ready to win another slam because he's been so consistent in the last year so my feeling is that Chilich will beat Federer in that semi-final it's not often you hear me back against Federer is it no it isn't um and actually that at tennis podcast there's quite a few people who are agreeing with you here uh, that they just feel Vikesh says he'll lose to Chilich in the semis make some errors at key points in the fourth set tie break think of Raonic in 2016 that's very specific <laughs> special smiley says it hasn't been a great year since January for Federer the Australian Open, obviously, but he's lost to players like Del Potro and Kokonakis and Chorich, people that maybe you wouldn't expect that he, that he would lose to. But, I mean, do you, do you hold much in all that? I mean, obviously, he hasn't played the, the clay court season at all. I was surprised by the Chorich loss. I didn't see that match. Uh, I, I don't think of Chorich as a grass court player. He obviously played in, exceptionally well. Yeah, but I think when you look at the matches, it was eight in 12 days for Roger. So I just think he'd not played for a couple of months before that. I mean, I just think that that was probably... I didn't watch it. <laughs> Cars on the table, I didn't watch it. Uh, I can't remember when, 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 where I was on that day. But well, it, was, uh, it was during the Queen's final for a start, wasn't it? And uh, uh, when Chilich obviously won through in nearly three hours against Djokovic. I think that that win for Chilich will have done the world a good for him mentally against Djokovic because he'd had that 14-1 record against him. So the interesting stat that in that final I thought was a 36% that Chilich served first set uh, which got him into trouble now that was I guess a, a lapse that one would have to say is mental because clearly there's nobody else out there messing with your service action and it wasn't like it was a gusty day particularly or anything like that so he he, he did have a bit of a a mental barrier to go through, but he, he put it back on track in the second set, obviously saved match point with a big, booming 
serve speared out to the Djokovic backhand and then he turned it on and got better and better. So it almost maybe, as you say, might bring him more self-belief than he, almost than if he just uh, eased through that match without any tr- troubles. So, yeah, it was a big mental step for him and he basically outthought Novak in the end. It was notable as well for me that he did it without a huge amount of histrionics in the celebration afterwards. He 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 remained composed and calm as though, yeah, and he was saying afterwards, if I, I, I started to get my serve going and if that happens... I back myself. There's a there's a there's a serenity about Chilich just at the moment. So I, you know, I, I haven't made up my mind completely, but I am leaning towards thinking that he could stop Federer as well here. Other half of the draw. Do you think this is going to be the year that Nadal comes through and actually gets to the final again? I mean, he's had a terrible time really at this tournament over the last few years. His big successes always came after he'd played at Queen's before. Obviously, he's a lot older now. Uh, he feels that, it, I guess, he can't do that run of winning the French, going to Queen's and then coming here. But do you feel that, that it is in him to to produce here and go all the way? Well, the weather has got to be a point in his favour. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert, really, on the physics of grass. <laughs> Having said that, I have written a few pieces with the groundsman stuff in the past, but it, it, it's still su- such a complicated subject. But I just think it's going to bounce higher, isn't it? And that's got to be an advantage for him. Also, I don't see too many huge servers up until maybe the point when he plays Del Potro or uh, maybe Shapovalov or Chardy from that section in what would be, what, the quarterfinal? So I, I think he will probably get to that stage. When you look at where he's returning serve from, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? In other tournaments, I'm not talking about grass. We haven't seen him on grass this year. Uh, he's, he's standing so far back, so that means that the, the angles... Uh, a, a, a wider I mean he's going to have to cover a bigger slice of the pie chart and the, the ball just slides doesn't it on the grass court the slider gets a little bit of help I think he's going to have to look at what he's going to do on return it's been a big issue in the past he's often been taken out by an inspired server Gilles Muller last year when he thought he was beginning to get some Wimbledon form behind him he said many times I wasn't far away last year I really was beginning to feel it I guess if you go second week as well the grass begins to to wear down a little and as, as he said the other day there's more clay <laughs> the phrase he used yesterday wasn't it there's more clay out there uh, as the tournament goes on um, we know what he means yeah we do now before we started recording simon you you just said to me you, you've been writing this carl edmund piece and you said british no more on carl edmund you you thought will this weather help him you, you've mentioned the nadal element the 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 higher bouncing ball that one feels will happen here because the surface must be harder surely if it's got this amount of heat on it now I said to you I think I know an example whereby that is true from the past and and I do and I I said it was 15 years ago I actually realized my maths is out it's 25 years ago 1993 was known as the sunshine championships and it did not rain once in the whole fortnight and in the final you had Pete Sampras in his first ever year, and you had Jim Courier, the man who is always compared to Carl Edmund whenever we talk about Carl Edmund, because the similarity, I think, physically uh, in their complexion and their and their look, but also their forehand, the, that, that the way they just take charge with that sort of shot. And that year was the first year that Courier had ever made a run here. The year before, he'd come in as the overwhelming world number one. He'd been beaten by Andrei Olhovsky in the fourth round. I remember a proper grass court player on a damp grass court. 
courier coming in, having won the Australian Open and the French Open, and yet he got to Wimbledon and he got sliced and chipped and charged and volleyed out of the championships. Then he comes in in 1993, baking hot tournament, Independence Day, 4th of July, final against Pete Sampras, and... You know, he got himself there. He 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 was hitting shoulder high forehands throughout that championship because that's where the ball was bouncing to him, and he was just hitting that frying pan forehand of his away. Sampras stopped him in the end, but that is my theory as to why both Nadal and Kyle Edmund could make real hay here. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I, I, that's a good example, but I, I don't think Kyle he's he's not in the conversation to win it, is he? I mean, I think no. I think there's probably a very small number of people who can win it but it's really key because when you look at his record here it's quite extraordinary he's won one match he's lost five and the bloke that he's beaten was Alexander Ward the world number 869 so let's be honest to say that he doesn't have pedigree here it would be a, a huge understatement but look he's a different man he's been to the Australian Open he's beaten Andy Murray last week in, in a, what was a bizarre occasion what did you make of all that? Ooh, well, I'm sure we'll get on to Andy Murray in a second, but let's just finish Kyle uh, and point out that he went through a mental barrier there. Whatever you're talking about in terms of forehands and backhands, that was more of a, you know, can you stand up and say, it's, it, I, I'm taking the baton today. And he did do that. Okay, he then did a rather Kyle-ish thing by losing to Kakushin in the next round. I didn't watch it. My colleague Charlie Eccleshare, a tennis podcast uh, guest of, of many times uh, he was there so I didn't I can't tell you what happened but it was a kind of Kyleish thing perhaps at this stage of his career still is one it's always two steps forward one step back with Kyle which is progress but slow progress that's the, the manner of the man with the exception of his breakthrough at the Australian Open so yeah he needs to get some wins here and as you say it's absolutely the perfect conditions for him it, they are. I actually think that the progress he's made at the last two, yes, they haven't been spectacular at either Queens or Eastbourne, but he's actually beaten some people that I would have thought, oh, you know, I'm not sure. I didn't know whether he would beat Andy Murray, and he, frankly, he beat him pretty handily in the end. So I was about to ask Simon what he made of Andy Murray and how he thought he might do at this point based on his performances at Queens and at uh, Eastbourne last week, that match he lost to Kyle Edmund, having beaten Stan Wawrinka, and he he taken part in a lengthy press conference on Saturday. There would have been lots of laughs and jokes about the fact that Argentina against France was a, suddenly a goal fest just as he was in his press conference and Murray was a bit frustrated and wanted to go and uh, go and watch it. At that stage, he was very much playing Wimbledon and we expected him to be stepping out on Tuesday against Benoit Paire. Um, and Simon and I had a little chat at this point of the podcast to talk about how we thought he might do maybe win a match maybe one or two and now just after five o'clock on Sunday afternoon a couple of hours after Simon and I recorded that section of this show Andy Murray announced that he's withdrawing from Wimbledon that he's not going to be able to take part he said it's with a heavy heart that I make this decision but I'm not quite right yet yes I've made significant progress at the tournaments uh, at Queen's the Fever Tree Championships and then again at, at Eastbourne He's making progress in practice as well, but the rigours of a five-set format are very different, is what Andy Murray said. And I dare say that has really hit him hard because he's close. He's close to being able to make a comeback. I don't think he'd have gone particularly far in this tournament. I think he might have been able to get through a match, but I don't know that for sure. He knows his body way better than I do. And uh, he's decided that it's too much for him at this stage in order to 
to properly do himself justice and I suspect that that's the big thing you know it's Wimbledon he doesn't want to come out and give a pale imitation of who he really is and so Andy Murray's decided not to take part in the Wimbledon Championships this year I think it'll hurt him as well because how many more times is he going to be able to play that is something he just doesn't know I mean you only have so many Wimbledons in you so he will have been desperate to get out here and it will hurt that he can't so no Andy Murray at the Wimbledon Championships in 2018 and it's a shame when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So the women's draw. What do you think? Uh, I mean, it's... That in itself is so fascinating to me because you've got Simona Halep coming in as world number one and French Open champion. She's finally conquered that that demon of her own. And yet on grass, to me, she doesn't feel like a a really top contender because I I expect to see somebody who's going to come out blitzing the ball, uh, winning the title. Like, I mean, I would probably put Petra Kvitova at the, the front of that queue because I think when she is on, She's, she's nigh on unplayable. Um, Muguruza, of course, last year. Serena Williams is back in the draw. But there, there are a lot of question marks over a lot of players. Yeah, I would say Kvitova is the bookie's favourite, and justly so. She's got herself fitter. She's won six titles in the last year. Um, it's incredible, that, isn't it? When, I mean, reading the Bonnie Ford, if you haven't seen it, the Bonnie Ford uh, ESPN article about what she's been through, the, the comeback and rehabilitation, recovery from her, her attack, her knife attack uh, at, the start, at the end of 2016, just remarkable. When I read that, that was six titles. I, I had to sort of, I, I thought, is that a misprint? I mean, that's a, a lot of titles. And they're all on different surfaces. She's done, done all three. Um, the only question which I, I would have liked to have seen in that piece, which was excellent, was does she 
uh, want it more having had it taken away from her. Mm. I don't think she really addressed that in that piece. I think she has elsewhere, but uh, that's the impression you get because, let's be honest, Kvitova was always a... how am I feeling about my tennis this week? Not so much how am I hitting it, but can I really be bothered to, to put out my best level? And when she did, she was unstoppable, but she just didn't maybe have that thing that tennis was the be-all and end-all in her life. Maybe she was too well-rounded for her own good, perhaps, in the past. She would have won more titles if she hadn't been such an interesting and, and, and open person. I mean, she's absolutely delightful to interview, isn't she? Um, and she remembers your name and, and she, she went and did a, a journalism degree, I think, or, or a year of it during this period when she couldn't play. So everyone loves Petra. I think she has decided that she wants to maximise uh, what time she has left. I mean, which is not to say that it's short by any means. It's just that, that was the, f- the way that she talks now. That she, I think she said that before she was attacked, she, she had got a new team together and told them i want to win another slam that's that's my career goal and uh in a way you feel that winning one more slam would almost be par now and and that, and that maybe she could do better than one more slam but let, let's let's not get carried away before we see her go to another final she needs to get there she needs to show that mentally she can cope with the stress uh but i think she's a valid favorite for, for here with the with the fitness level is higher than i've ever seen it and it needs to be. And I would actually say the flip side to what we've talked about with Nadal and Edmund is I think the hot conditions can hurt her in as much as she doesn't like them. She, she, she's, I believe, an asthmatic. She's, she's often looked uncomfortable in hot conditions. Now, obviously, 28 degrees in London is not 40 degrees in Melbourne. But I, I do think it is a consideration. I think it won't be to her liking as much as it will to certain other players. What, what do you think about... I mean talking of somebody who won't mind a bit about it is Caroline Wozniacki who just managed to to win the Eastbourne title Catherine Whitaker was down there our our regular here on the tennis podcast my co-host she'll be back with us every day from tomorrow we're just giving her one little day off uh, (laughs) because we're like that here on the tennis podcast I had the whole week off incidentally lying in a dark room after Queen so uh, you know it's 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 fair play but what, what do you think who 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 strikes you as the person that's going to come through? Or could, could Serena just out of nowhere suddenly come and start rampaging through this draw? What, what do you think? I mean, just on the, the heat, I mean, it might not help for Kvitova's health, but it would help her serve. And the same goes for Williams. So she's not serving much because of the right pectoral injury she brought in, she said. But then sometimes she serves better on the day if she hasn't been doing much practicing. I mean, she's... <laughs> How many years has she been playing this sport for? She doesn't need to to go through hours on the training court, and that serve can win her the title, you know, on, almost on its own, because you can't break her if she's nailing her spots. It's just not physically possible. So I wouldn't uh, rule her out. I mean, I think she's the second favourite with the bookies, and again, Serena is. Well, she was last week. Wow, Serena could play Alina Svitolina in round three. I mean, there, she, she got that seeding, didn't she? Number twenty-five. Do you do you think that's about right? Mm-hmm. It's a mixed blessing that seeding because you know that if results go with ranking, you will play a top eight seed in the third round. So, in fact, if you're unseeded, uh, you can have a worse draw, but you can have a much better one. So it was, it was an interesting uh, decision. I mean, I think. That, it was the least controversial call because it meant that no one got affected apart from poor old Dominika Sibilkova. 
Uh, what, yeah, she got pushed out of the seedings, didn't she? And she actually said she wasn't, wasn't too pleased about it. She felt the no. whole thing was unfair. Well, I was there in Eastbourne when we asked for her to come to press, and we asked her about it, and she was quite tactful. Then she left, and then we got a call from the WTA saying, Dominique has been thinking about this, and she wants to come back and talk to you again. That's interesting. Uh, that's not a common experience, and if it is... If it does happen, it's usually because the player wants to tone down something that they think might be controversial and get them in trouble. Quite the reverse in this instance. She came in and said, right, uh, I hadn't really thought about it, but now you uh, mention it, it would be really unfair if I'm not seated and I want to put that on record. So we were like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, nice line. Uh, good for her. You know, it's nice to hear that sort of transparency and, and the real story from somebody. And, and you do get that from Dominika Sivilkova. Whether you agree, agree with it or not is up to you. But at least she tells you what she thinks. So Serena Williams, we know, is back. She's got a rancher rush or rus in the first round. And that's, uh, that's going to be played on court one third up uh, tomorrow. Of, of the women's draw, who, who, so you're going for Kvitova, would you say that at this point? I mean, we've, we've got to get our predictions in by start of play tomorrow. Uh, I know I've got to push you into that, but I'll, I'll let you off not having to go completely on the record now because you've got nearly 24 hours to do so. Um, and you're rolling your eyes at me. I can tell beneath your sunglasses there. Don't want to have to do the predictions, David. Just leave me alone. Stop putting me on the spot. Uh, but... It's, it's just a who's who, isn't it, of players who you feel as though could win this title, and yet I wouldn't put my house on any of them. Madison Keys, maybe? Well, she's got the big game, hasn't she? She had the good run at the French Open, yet you... I don't know. You talked about Marin Cilic earlier as somebody who you can rely upon. I don't think you can rely upon Madison Keys, and I think that that is the problem. She might do it, but I'm not confident that she will just keep punching the clock every day and get it right. But who can you rely on in the women's draw? I mean, this is the great conversation about women's tennis. I have said repeatedly that women's tennis has been much more entertaining than men's since that incredible 2017 Australian Open where the men set a new benchmark in, in somewhere out in the farther reaches of the galaxy, which, which, which we, we may never see a tournament like it. And the women's tournament was good as well, but okay, the men just... It was a different, different level. But since every, every tournament since then, every slam, the women's been much more interesting than the men's. But the other side of that coin is that there's nobody out there since Serena stepped off the tour to have a baby. There's been nobody out there he can rely on. And that's one of the reasons it's so interesting. But it also sort of makes it difficult to sort of have a narrative-based conversation. And, it, and you know, the, I always said that Serena was too dominant. She was, she was like Lance Armstrong when he was... <laughs> that's a terrible comparison. So I, I, uh, let me take that one back. She was like Michael Schumacher. Sorry when he was driving to every title in the Formula One universe and he kind of killed it. And I felt like she was, she was over-dominant. She was over-mighty, uh, as they used to say about the Tudors, um, in her period uh, sort of between coming together with Patrick, Maratoglou, and stepping down to have the baby. That, that was, she was just too strong. It, it, it meant that there was not enough oxygen in the room for everybody else. Uh, now we've got a free-for-all. It's, it's just like sort of... Siamese fighting fish in a tank. So much fun. Can't wait. All starts tomorrow. Simon, just quickly, tell us what we can look forward to in the Telegraph tomorrow because you've been writing away like crazy down there. It's like we've been watching the, the Roadrunner with that sort of uh, dust and cloud of, uh, of dust in the air as the, the feet go mental uh, on the ground. And that's been your typewriter, uh, also known as a computer. Well, I've done uh, a few trails, haven't I? So we've got, we got five... Uh... Why Taylor Fritz? Could we do five, um, five boys to, to watch? Who are the others? 
Uh, Chorich is in there, Kachanov and TFO, Tsitsipas. Um, so we did a photograph. No Shapovalov. Well, we did him before the French Open. Oh, yes, of course you did. I, I played a hand in that. And, <laughs> and what about Zverev? Well, we did him last year. He was our, our, so I mean, you, you sort of have ah, to vary it up a bit. I mean, I see. Zverev was our big Wimbledon preview last year. Shapovalov was our French Open. You know, you, got, you, can't, you can't do the same guys over and over again, although I, I have been back to the uh, Simona Hallett well more than once. Uh, how's she going to do? Uh, that is a complete unknown, isn't it? I mean, traditionally, players who win their first slam don't really uh, set the world on fire in their next slam, uh, particularly when they have taken an awfully long time to build up to it. And you wouldn't say that the courts, the conditions, the whole Wimbledon thing is necessarily suited to her. So she's a bit of a... For a world number one who won the last slam, I think she's surprisingly far back. Not getting a lot, a lot of chat at the moment. But anyway, I can't wait to read your stuff in the paper tomorrow. Simon Briggs from The Telegraph. He'll be with us throughout the tournament from time to time. We'll also try and get some of his colleagues on as well. As I say, Catherine Whittaker will be back with us from tomorrow. Daily editions of the Tennis Podcast. Wimbledon starts on centre court at one o'clock with Roger Federer against Dusan Lajevic of Serbia. Then it's uh, Caroline Wozniacki in action against Vavara Lepchenko. Stan Vavrinka against Grigor Dimitrov. How about that for a first round? That's third up on centre court. Court one's got Dona Vekic against Sloane Stephens. Liam Brody of Britain against Milos Raonic. And then it's Serena Williams in action third up. Marin Cilic starts the action on court number two. It all starts tomorrow. We can't wait. I'll be on BBC Radio 5 Live as will Catherine. She'll be on BBC TV as well. We've been the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and sponsored by Amazon Prime Video, the home of the US Open in the UK from this year. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 